the cliche is common, but you've heard the phrase, talk is cheap. And in our walk with the Lord, there's a recognition that, that there's something more than just words that's a part of the necessity of being a part of the Christian life. And um, I, I will tell you that I learned at a young age, probably about seven years old, um, that it's pretty easy to lie. Now, aren't you glad your kids left as I'm saying this? Well, I, I, told, I told this, uh, well, I experienced this. My my brother, Chad, had been given a hatchet for his birthday, and my friend Andy came home, or came over to visit Sunday after church. Of course, it was on a Sunday, of all things. And uh, I told Andy that that was my new hatchet, and that we went over to the neighbor's house. Uh, thankfully, the neighbors were out of town, and they had this beautiful little cherry tree in their front yard. You, you can't even make this stuff up, right? Uh, we took a rope with us, and, and Andy and I proceeded to just decide that we're going to chop down this cherry tree, and we're working on it. We're seven years old, so um, it was a fairly big tree, and so we kind of maimed it. I don't even know if we really chopped it down, um, but uh, we, we tied a rope on the top and pulled it over, and we came home like conquerors, you know, like we just achieved this great task. And uh, the next day, I'm in a, one of those little kitty plastic pools in the backyard. Uh, Mom was gardening, and, and these two giant men come over from next door. I didn't realize that my neighbors were like WWF wrestlers. They're huge guys. And, and I hear this conversation between my mom and them, and I'm like, oh, no, I am so dead. And, and as I hear the conversation, I hear something about a cherry tree and a rope. And, and then I, I hear my mom say these incredible words, which I'm sorry, Mom, I know you're watching. Uh, but my, my precious mom says, none of my boys would be that stupid. That's what she said. And, and I go, yes, you know, I'm in the pool and like, yes, you know. And so she sends them on their way uh, quite impressively. And at the dinner table, my mom's recalling the events of the day, you know, David to my dad, you know, can you believe this? The neighbors came over. And then there's just this moment in the conversation where you can like a little light bulb goes off in my mom's mind, like maybe one of my boys was that stupid. So at that point, my youngest brother was just being born. So, so my older two siblings, my mom, uh, you know, kind of looked at the usual suspects. She starts with my brother, DJ, did you chop down the neighbor's cherry tree? Don't know what you're talking about. Chad, did you chop down the neighbor's cherry tree? Don't know what you're talking about. Sean, did you chop down the neighbor's cherry tree? Don't know what you're talking about, you know? And so I, uh, I lied myself straight through it. And it took about eight hours later in bed uh, after having that, like the guilt that was on my heart in tears, crawling into my parents' bed, just weeping, like, I cut down the neighbor's cherry tree, you know. Felt pretty guilty, you know. Um, but words are cheap, aren't they? Let's be honest. Like, we, we can say things to get ourselves out of trouble, to make ourselves look better. We can inflate our ego. I, I have suffered through this in my life. I've realized at times that I have been more sensitive to what a person wants me to say than at times what the facts are. And uh, we recognize that some of you know what I'm talking about. If you're honest, especially if you've ever been pulled over by a police officer. And I love these, I love these stories that uh, are true stories that police officers have shared about people who used words to try to get out of a ticket. Uh, I love this one. The guy who got pulled over by the police officer and said, I thought the sign that said I-95 was the speed limit. That's a good one. Uh, I like this one. He says, I was trying to keep an appropriate distance from the car behind me. 
I like that one. Um, the, the, this one, officer, I'm terribly sorry. I was speeding, uh, probably about 10 miles over the limit. You can write me a ticket if you need to, but please do it quickly. You see, I have my attorney in the car, and he's charging me $400 an hour until I drop him off. Uh, so, so pick up the pace. Um, I have a cold, and when I cough, my foot mashes the pedal. Uh, okay, that's a pretty bad one. Uh, this is my favorite. So uh, this, this lady, she tried name dropping. So she gets pulled over, police officer, um, you know, tells her that she was speeding. And she says, well, my friend, Dr. Or, or David Polino, who's a police officer with you, is going to kill me. Oh, you know Dave Polino. Well, in that case, um, I will thank him for you when I see him. Uh, then the officer proceeded to write her a ticket, and she says, oh, you're still, still going to give me a ticket? And he says, uh, yes. And then he says, ma'am, can you read? And she says, yes. And, he, and then he points at his name tag, and his name tag says, Sergeant David Polino. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. You know, words are cheap. We live in a world that desperately wants to see more than words from us, though. And, and as Christ followers, let's just be honest, the you know, when you hear these cliches like practice what you preach, the reason why that cliche is said is because not everyone has always practiced what they've preached. Some of you have grown up in religious homes where, where they were very different on Sundays than on the rest of the days of the week. Some of you have had coworkers that their, their inability to mesh together their faith and the words that they speak about and their lifestyle and the actions of what it means to be a Christ follower. There's an inconsistency there. We use the word integrity. You think of that word and you think of integrity as a structural term that says like that board looks like it should be load bearing. I could walk on it because it looks sound. And the concept of integrity is that it looks that way. And then when you actually put it to the pressure test, when you actually step on it, it's sound, it's whole. It has structural integrity. And for some of us, we like the facade. We like the ability to articulate to others that we're more spiritual than what we are. We're better than what we are. That we live in such a way that others should be affirmed in our lifestyle. But in reality, if you did the audit, if you could follow our lives, if you could check the search engine, if you could follow through the details of our financial transactions, if you really got into the nitty gritty of our lives, would it be that we are people who put into practice the things that we say that we value? That's the challenge. And what we're going to see from the Apostle Paul in our study of 1 Corinthians today is he's going to say to this group of people, I live in such a way that I want you to be able to learn from my lifestyle. And I hope for each one of us that we look at our faith in such a way that we live it in such a way that others could say, I want to be like her. I want to live like her. I want to have her faith. I want to, I want to live in that way. But not just the ideas, not just the concepts. It breaks my heart. I had a friend who I grew up with where his, his dad was a pastor. And, and he said something to me one time that makes my heart break. Because he said, you know, my dad's so different on Sunday mornings than he is the rest of the week. And I think of those words and I just think of my, my own daughters and my own life. And I, I just tell you, I want to be a person who can say to you as a church family, I want to say this to my children. I want to say this to everybody that I know that my life has integrity, that I, I'm committed to being the person that I project that I am. I think this is what Paul is challenging us to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 
in the last few verses of this beautiful chapter, it's going to resonate with other passages of Scripture, like the Lord Jesus taught us in Matthew 15 when he said, this people honors me with their lips. Do you guys remember this passage? He says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They act like their faith matters to them, but really they're far away from me. This God, the God that you and I serve, he takes this seriously. And I'll just gently remind you this morning, the truth of the gospel ought to radically change how you and I live. For those of us who understood what Jake presented earlier, that, that we've been bought with a price, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven and set free, the truth of the gospel ought to change everything. And our faith ought to be evidenced in action. I love the way Jesus put it. He said, by this shall all men know that you are mine by the bumper sticker on your car. <laughs> no, but by this shall all men know that you're mine by the postings that you put on Facebook. No, by this shall all men know that you are mine by the t-shirt. No, actually what he says, by this shall all men know that you're mine. Why? How? By your love for one another. He's, he's saying that it requires action in your life. A, a testimony that goes so much further than just what you describe with your actions. This is a longer quote by Ted Engstrom, but I just want you to receive this. This is the kind of person I want to be. It says this, the world needs men and women who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, who put character above wealth, who possess opinions and a will who are larger than their vocations, who do not hesitate to take chances, who will not lose their individuality in a crowd, who will be as honest in small things as in great things, who will make no compromise with wrong, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires, who will not say that they do it because everybody else does it, who are true to their friends through good report and evil report, in adversity as well as in prosperity, who do not believe that shrewdness, cunning, and hard-headedness are the best qualities for winning success. They are willing to say no with emphasis, although the rest of the world says yes. What a great quote. That, that's what we're called to be. Later in 2 Corinthians, Paul challenged his people to, to be guileless, to, to not have anything inside of them that is deceptive. And he puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, verses, um, in the first few verses, it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, I just want to be an open book for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later in 1 Thessalonians, he says this, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. I want to remind you this morning, as we strive to do more than words, that well done is better than well said. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. 
Allie and I were in a parking lot, a busy parking lot next to a busy road the other day, and a mother comes out kind of shrieking, and she almost tackled her little baby that was walking out towards the road, and then she sat him down, and she gave him this lesson. He's probably three years old, you know, barely mobile, but mobile enough to go out on the road, and she, she's scolding him, and on one sense, it almost sounded like she was doing something abusive, but when we listened to what she was saying, she was actually doing something very loving to him, because she was saying, Honey, if you go out there, you could die. And this description that Paul gives of what a father does in, in the process of caring for his child, he's going to use this language. My goal with you, he says, is to not make you feel shame. It's not to punish you in that way, but it's to admonish you as my beloved children. I love you, but I want you to make sure you're listening to the right guides. For though you have countless guides, innumerable nannies, uh, tutors, instructors that, that want to give you their opinion as to how you ought to live your life. It's quite fascinating, the word that's used there. Hey, by the way, you have a lot of counselors, nannies, tutors that want to tell you how to live your life, whether it's through advertising, whether it's through, through voices on the radio, through how there's so many different influencers in our lives today. And what he's reminding us in this process is he's challenging them to make sure that, that his focus is going to be on Christ and the gospel of Christ. And, and he is so focused on it that he's able to say, live like I live. Follow me as I follow Christ. So you have countless guides, but now the man who helped to plant this church, who is their spiritual father, he says this, in Christ you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Is this about honoring Paul? No, it's about honoring the Lord Jesus Christ through the message of the gospel as he invested this in the lives of these people. Paul says to them, I shared with you the truth of the gospel. And then he says beautifully in verse 16, I love this verse. He says, I urge you then to be imitators of me. Have you guys noticed, those of you who are parents, that our kids don't just pick up on the good stuff in our lives, but often they really pick up the ugly stuff as well? Uh, Allie and I have had a couple of times where we're like, where did the kids learn to talk that way? And then like we, we realize like the, the fingers, the three fingers are pointing back at us. Like they've, they've learned it from us. I've noticed that, that often the, the good things that we want to transfer on from one generation to the next uh, those are harder to transfer, but the bad and the ugly ones, those are pretty highly contagious, aren't they? Have you guys noticed that? How we behave, our dysfunction, our sin tendencies. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is something that I hope every person that's in this room uh, that calls themselves a Christ follower can say, and that is that they are able to articulate, I want you to follow Christ like I follow Christ. I want you to see Christ in me and my lifestyle. And that's my neighbors. That's our friends. That's our kids. That's our relationships. That's our parents that, that we're saying back to you, be imitators of me, not because we've got it all figured out, but because we're followers of the living God. Verse 17, that's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ. I teach them everywhere and in every church. It's beautiful. What's happening is that we, we learn in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul is now on his third missionary journey. He's in Ephesus. He's going through some crazy things in Ephesus. And instead of being able to come back to the church that he wanted to visit, he's going to send his, his son in the gospel, his 
spiritual son, Timothy, to go help be an encouragement to this church. And so Timothy's probably on his way to the church. And what I love about this is that he's going to describe Timothy as an ambassador for his lifestyle. And it sounds weird, but, but what he's basically saying there is like, Timothy understands the gospel. He's living it out. What, a, what an encouragement to who Timothy is. And now he's saying, I'm going to send him to you to be an encouragement to you, to remind you of my lifestyle, to see Christ in him so that everyone is impacted by the simple truth of the gospel. It's why I sent you him. It is to be my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. In other words, Paul says, I'm the same. I am consistent. There's no fraud here. There's no, nothing to hide. This is just, I am who I am. And you know what's beautiful about this? They're frustrated because Paul hasn't come back to them. But in this time period, Paul pens these incredible words that we're building this series on called the prodigal church. And it, it cuts to where we're at as a church family, where we recognize that God has provided for us abundantly. And our natural tendency is to reject his precious gift to us. So here we get this book and we recognize that Paul is challenging these believers to step up their game, to, to pay attention to the gospel, to let it impact their lives, to not just be hearers of the truth, but to be doers. And the good teacher here knows that values are caught much easier than they're taught. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that just a simple statement that we can agree with? I love after his Sunday messages, uh, a pastor in England uh, many years ago got on a trolley on Monday morning to go back to a study downtown. So he paid the fare to the trolley driver who gave him way too much money and change. And the pastor sat down, he fumbled the change and he counts it several times over, one, two, three, almost 10 times he counts it over. And then he sits back and he says, boy, it's wonderful how the Lord provides. <laughs> And he, he starts thinking about the nice lunch that he'll be able to have that day and the, the bills that were a little tight. And um, he, he's, he's already spent the money before he has it. And he wrestles with himself all the way down the old trolley trail that led to his office. And then finally, he comes to the stop, he gets up, and he just couldn't live with himself. So he walked up to the trolley driver and he says, here, you, here you, you gave me way too much change. You made a mistake. And the driver said, no, it was no mistake. You see, I was in your church last night when you spoke about honesty, and I wanted to see if you were a man of your word. <laughs> you, know, you know what? We're, we're surrounded by people, neighbors, coworkers. Uh, you, you guys know this, right? Uh, our, our coworkers, they, they know what we profess they, they understand what we, and you remember that unfortunately there have been other people who've been hypocritical about their faith. They've talked about religious things, but they haven't modeled it in their lifestyle. I, I grieve that. It breaks my heart. And so part of the challenge for us is to be people who have integrity, that, that function in the way that we say that we believe, that model the fruit of the Spirit in our life, that people actually see the wisdom and maturity and grace and kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ effused in our lives. You see, this is the essence of discipleship. It's following. This, uh, to be a disciple means you're a follower of Christ. And so the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he taught his disciples, you know, the training program for the disciples wasn't to sit down and go through lectures. You guys know that, right? Like it wasn't a lecture sermon series that he took them through. He actually just said, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. And you know what he was? He was a fisher of men. 
and he included them in the process. He understood that values get passed on through action, not just through concepts and words. You see, the truth of God needs to be poured through our personal life experience. That's the way I view preaching. This is the way I want to live my life is to not just be someone who communicates that he values these truths, but that they've been permeating. They're permeating the daily decisions that represent our household and our lifestyle. You know, effective teachers really understand the value of showing more than they tell. Paul understood the importance of faith in action. Jesus, the ultimate teacher, modeled this when he taught his disciples humility through washing their feet. They, they taught the disciples what it means to value all people by interacting with this woman at the well who was suffering. Jesus knew the values that he taught were those that were embodied in his decisions to approach children, to allow those who were rejected in his culture to be precious to him. Even the feeding of the 5,000, I think Jesus was teaching the disciples, you go, you empty yourself out, you come back to me, and you get filled back up. You go empty yourself out, and there's 12 baskets left over. Jesus was the master teacher. And we recognize, uh, brothers and sisters, that, that we want others to learn from our good attributes and actions, but the bad and the ugly are particularly infectious, like I said before. So, so when we consider these simple truths, I just want to remind you this morning that well done is better than well said. That phrase was attributed to Benjamin Franklin, and, and the idea is I think the world really wants to see our faith be put in action. And it's important for us to remember that the private will always become a, a result. They will, they will have evidence in the public. We say this word, out of the overflow of our heart, so our mouth speaks. And it is very important that we tender and care for our own personal spiritual walk. This, this reality, this team effort, this partnership between us and the Holy Spirit, the collaborative effort of being a part of church community and being together with others, this ability for us to be servants helping to fulfill the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ through the leadership of others. That's, that's what he wants of us. And uh, some of you may have heard um, this, this beautiful illustration used by Peter Marshall, who was the, um, the late chaplain of the United States Senate. And he told this story. I remember hearing him share this story, and it's, he calls it the, the keeper of the spring. And it's a, a parable for each one of us about taking care of what's going on inside of us. And if we don't prioritize that, it's going to have results. He said this, that, that um, there was, an, there was a, a quiet forest dweller who lived high above an Austrian village along the eastern slopes of the Alps. The old gentleman had been hired by a young town council to clear away the debris from the pools of the water up in the mountain crevices that fed the lovely spring flowing through their town. With faithful, silent regularity, he patrolled the hills, removing the leaves and branches, and he wiped away the silt that would otherwise choke and contaminate the fresh water flow. By and by, the village became a popular attraction for vacationers. Graceful swans floated along the crystal clear spring. The millworks of various businesses located near the water turned, um, turned day and night. Farmlands were naturally irrigated, and the view from restaurants was picturesque beyond description. Years passed, and one evening, the town council met for its semi-annual semi budget meeting, and as they reviewed the budget, one man's eye caught the salary figure being paid to the obscure keeper of the spring. 
said the keeper of the purse, who is that old man? Why do we keep him year after year? No one ever sees him. For all we know, the strange, strange ranger of the hills is doing us no good. He probably isn't necessary any longer. By a unanimous vote, they dispensed of the old man's services. For several weeks, nothing changed. By early autumn, the trees began to shed their leaves. The small branches snapped off and fell into the pools, hindering the rushing flow of the sparkling water. One afternoon, someone noticed a slight yellowish-brown tint in the spring. A couple of days later, the water was much darker. Within another week, a slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks, and a foul odor was soon detected. The millworks moved slower, some finally ground to a halt, swans left as, the, as did the tourists. Clammy fingers of disease and sickness reached deeply into the village. Quickly, the embarrassed council called a special meeting, realized their gross error in judgment. They hired back the old keeper of the spring, and within a few weeks, the veritable river of life began to clear up. The wheels started to turn again, and new life returned to the hamlet in the Alps once again. You guys have seen uh, times where there's fountains or pools of water where somebody's frustrated with the, the, the way that it looks and so they dump dye in it. Have you seen it? Like usually it's like this neon blue and, and it doesn't look healthy at all, right? But it's, a, it's an attempt to make it look right. And I can't help but think of, of that, the, the contrast between this idea of the keeper of the springs and I'm drawing the connection to each one of our souls to say we have to pay attention to what's going on. We have to be aware of what things we're allowing to creep into our lives that hinders our ability to find joy in our lives. What, what joy stealers that we're allowing Satan to, to, as the great accuser, push into our lives. What, what parts of our life have we neglected in such a way that we're exposed to temptation and vulnerability? Uh, what, what the challenge is here is for us to be people who put our faith into practice. Paul lived that way. Paul allowed himself to say, follow me as I follow Christ. You know what is essential for us to remember is unapplied truth is incredibly dangerous. This could be underapplied truth or this could be truth that we reject. Paul is going to call people who do that arrogant. He says this in verse 18. <laughs> Literally in Greek, this word means puffed up. Uh, the, their heads are blown up. They're, they're, they're puffed up. He says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. In other words, what he's saying is I'm going to find out if they're living the way that they talk about. I'm going to find out if they're showing evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in their life. Are they experiencing God's mighty work in their lives? Or are they just all talk? <laughs> if you've ever seen a puffer fish, when it's, it, when it's blown up, it, it can look giant. But before that, we had lots of fun encounters when we lived in the Bahamas that they just look like a normal everyday fish. And then when they puff up, they're the size of a basketball sometimes. And uh, this description that he's saying is like, that's like the, a person who's arrogant. They're just puffed up. They, they think they're more important than what they are. And, and what Paul's saying here about these people is it's so fascinating because they're grumbling about the fact that Paul hasn't come to visit them. And here, remember, Paul is a man of God's word. James taught us that when it comes to even talking about where we go and how we schedule things on our calendars, we ought to be people who say, Lord willing. Like, we're going to entrust this into the Lord. I hope it works out for me to come. But, but what these people were doing in the process 
of acting like they wanted Paul to come, they're actually pushing him away. And I, and I want to make this little side point here that, that it's easier for us to see our own flaws in others. And, and here what Paul is, see, what they're seeing in Paul is a man who doesn't keep his word, who, who's not faithful. And yet these people were going to see through their lifestyle that they were so quick to reject the kind of faithfulness that God calls us to have. Underapplied, unapplied truth can simply just puff us up. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 talks about that knowledge puffing up. You know what we can count on? The third point this morning is everything will be exposed for what it truly is. We've been talking about the judgment of God and we anticipate God judging all of our actions, uh, even as Christ followers, to see what will last and what will just be like chaff that, that, that burns, that it's, it's useless, it doesn't have any lasting values. His affirmation and exhortation to us is to seek jewels and, and gold and silver type of actions, eternal things that will last forever. And he's not talking about things that are valuable in earthly terms. He's talking about investing in spiritual things that last for eternity. And in that process, what we recognize is the kingdom of God is not just talking about it. The way Paul puts it in verse 20 is this. He says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but it consists, it is in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? He's, he's already said, I want to be like a father that loves you. The 23rd Psalm talks about God's rod and his staff. And in the hands of a good shepherd, they are the source of discipline at times, but they're also the source of comfort. And Paul is saying to them, I can come to you and rebuke you if I have to, but I hope to come and to see that you have a spirit that is showing evidence of the work of God in your life, that you're producing fruit, that you're living up to what I've called for you, that you're not a prodigal church, but that you're accepting the seat at the banquet of the God and Father that loves you so much. Stop eating the, the food to the pigs. Find yourself at the seat at the banquet of what I've provided for you. I think that's the challenge. And Paul is reminding us that talk is cheap, but truth and love is precious here. And he's reminding us that spiritual power is evidence of a desperate dependence on the Holy Spirit. And discipline, when it's done right, should be an act of love. You know, when I, um, when I apologized and went through the process of, of uh, feeling all the shame associated with chopping down my neighbor's cherry tree, I could think of other times in my life when that time it only took a couple of hours. But there's other times when I've had things that have been a part of my past, things even sometimes that had had months that had passed, sometimes even years that had passed, that I had just committed myself to saying, you know what, that was wrong. I need to make that right. I'll share a story that I'm embarrassed by. But when I was in high school, I was involved in a Christian club and involved in kind of publicly uh, expressing my faith and with students. Actually, a number of students came to Christ through that Christian club. I hear from them regularly. And uh, it's really an exciting part of my, uh, my history at Wayne High School in Huber Heights, Ohio. Um, but um, there was a time when one of my fellow students, his dad was the athletic director of our school district and um, or of our school, our high school. 
And he uh, pulled me aside after a football practice and he said, hey man, come on in here. And I came in with him and he had his dad's keys. And we went into this locker room area, our special room that had all kinds of football t-shirts and bags and sporting things that you were supposed to have paid for. And he's like, man, take whatever you want. And you know what I did? I took whatever I wanted. I, I filled this bag full of all kinds of stuff. And I was so excited and it was completely free. And, uh, I, and I can remember over the next year, um, every time I wore one of those shirts, I felt a little guilty. Every time I opened that bag, I think my parents asked me where it came from and I probably lied to them about it. And there was a time in the whole process, it was like a year later, when I, I just decided that I was going to make it right. I remember going into one of the football coaches that I had, and I took all the same stuff, and I took the money to pay for it all, and I just went in, scheduled the time to meet with my coach, and, um, and I sat down with him, and I said, man, I, 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 a year ago, I stole all of this stuff, and I want to make it right. I feel terrible about this. And you know what's interesting is that that guy, um, that particular coach had given me a hard time about the Christian club and thing, like kind of teased me for it at different times. And from that time forward, he never did. And, and I don't know if it was because of anything that happened there. In fact, I, maybe I fueled his, his perception of, of Christians being hypocrites. I don't know. But what I will challenge you in is that I'm going to ask you, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer um, but, but, for, but for each one of us, like it's appropriate for us to be keepers of the pool, right? It's appropriate for us to search our hearts. Uh, King David talked about that. Search my heart and know me. Know if there's any wayward thing within me. And I just want to challenge you. If there's anything in your life, I, I was doing this early this morning uh, on some things, maybe a phone call I need to make, something I need to follow up on. But would you join me as we attempt to apply this truth together today that that we don't just look at places that might not have integrity in our life and justify them, rationalize them, explain them away. You know, what, you know what the big trick is that we often do to get ourselves off the hook is to find somebody who does it a little worse than us. You know, my, my friends, you know, my friends, you know, um, you know, the one who had the keys of his dad, maybe he took one more shirt than me or, you know, maybe it was his second time. You, you know what I mean. And just to be able to say, like, Lord, what are you challenging me in? Because I, I don't want us to be known as hypocrites. I don't want to feed that fuel. I, I want us to be people who, when we mess up, that we make it right. When we, when we move into times in our lives where we've rationalized things that are, go against the very character and heart of God, that we, we don't allow the culture to define, to be our tutors for how we act, but instead that we follow Christ in such a way that we can boldly say, to other people, follow me as I follow Christ. And I think if you do that, I think that you're going to do what we were commanded to do, and that is to be salt and light in a dark world. What does salt do? It makes something attractive. Yes, it's a preservative. I, I like beef jerky too. But, it's, but it's, it really is, you know, one of those seasonings that we put on things to just make them taste better. You understand that's a, that's a part of the privilege of being a Christ follower is that people look at us and they go, I want that. And, and then the other part of that, the, the light in a dark world is that we just recognize the world doesn't have to live like us. They don't have to embrace our values. Uh, they never have, nor will they ever. But what we hope is that they understand the love of Christ so that God's word can change them and his spirit can move them to understand his way is the best way. Do you get it? Do you agree with me on this? 
And do you recognize how important it is that we're people who do more than just words when it comes to our declaration of faith? Let me just apply this one last way. And that is, you're going to read articles. I think you and I are going to spend our lifetime reading articles about how the next generation is abandoning their faith. That, you know, this is the last generation of the Christian church. or the Like, like there's really scary articles that you've read. And I've read them as well. And I will just tell you, if we are going to, I, I don't think it's true. It's a lie. The, God's church, he tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Praise the Lord for that. And there's some really mighty um, believers that are in the next generation. So ignore that. But I will tell you, if we are going to pass our faith on to the next generation, one of the things that we need to do is to be people who live our faith, not just talk about it. And so that is my challenge to you. It's my challenge in my household. It's Allie and my challenge as we strive to love our daughters and to care for our family is that we want to be people who are guileless, that there's no fraud in there at all, um, that we try to live up to the faith that we publicly profess. And I think if we do that, I think that there will be people who notice it. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We've got a great song uh, to close us out, and then I will... Close out our service in a special blessing. Lord, we love you and we need you. And I, even as I share some of my, uh, my times in my own life when I have abandoned the values that were essential to my understanding of you, I thank you for your grace that's sufficient, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. And I'd even thank you, Lord, that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What a beautiful truth. And I pray for each and every person that's here, Lord, that we, uh, we want to be people who are not just um, facades, um, not mask wearers, not fraudulent. Um, Lord, we want to be people who have integrity, that we live out the values that we say um, are significant um, to us because they're significant to you. Would you teach us uh, to be livers in such a way that others would be able to say, I want to be like that. We love you. We need you today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.